Good morning to you. We're in for an exciting morning. We're excited, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to read from God's Word. This is the last in our series on Exodus. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord, the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This morning's talk is called The Tale of Many Mountains. How to walk in the presence of God. The Tale of Many Mountains. And so we're going to explore this story. Uh, and I want to begin by telling you uh, one of my own stories. Just, uh, I used to be a member of the, what I call the Madame Two Swords Club, the MT Club. And uh, I don't know if anyone here has ever been to Madame Tussauds. It's a great place to go to. It's a nice place to visit in London if you're there. And uh, I bought a membership one year. And uh, so I had my, my club card, which meant I could just go in and out of Madame Tussauds anytime I like. And it also meant that I could go into things like Thorpe Park and Alden Towers anytime because they're all owned by the same people. So I love this, this card. And sometimes I'd meet friends uh, for a coffee in, in London and, uh, and kind of head down to Madame Tussauds and go in. And, and it's all full of waxworks of famous people from around the world you know there'd be Barack Obama there and you know David Beckham and the Queen and various others that you could stand next to and have your photo with and kind of you know trick people that you were hanging out with all the celebs all of that stuff and uh, one particular time I was there with a friend and we kind of went around had a look sat in the cafe had our coffee and then after the cafe you go down some steps and as you go down the steps it gets darker and gloomier and then they start pumping out these kind of horrible back street of London kind of smells. Not the kind of smells you really want to be smelling, but it's not nice, it's getting darker, and then you become aware of some sort of kind of high violin music. You know, again, it's meant to put you on edge, and so this is kind of music that's kind of... It's kind of meant to make you feel a little bit more tense, and then as you step down in these steps, you're going into the chamber of horrors, and you become aware of another noise, this... And your heart begins to beat a little bit more and you're kind of on edge going in to look at these, these waxworks of people who have done terrible things or you know, various tools, instruments of punishment throughout the ages. And it's actually it's not that nice a place to hang out in actually. But I went down there that day and I was wearing, I suppose, quite dark clothes like today and, uh, and so I had this idea. And I went to the corner, I found this little corner with a, a shaft of light coming down and I stood there and I thought I'm going to stand here as still as I can and I'm going to pull off the most evil face I know how to pull off. And that's about as evil as it gets for me. And, and so I stood there like really kind of held my pose and, um, and this group of American tourists came around the corner and uh, led by a, a lady who had a, an umbrella and she was kind of leading the group with her umbrella and uh, she sort of came towards, came towards me and you know, I had this moment of like, you know, what, what do I do? Do I, 
do I break away now and we'll all not be embarrassed? And, uh, you know, and she, she kind of you know, realised that I was a real person and that she was being a bit too keen. And uh, I, I don't get embarrassed either. And we kind of all walk away. Or do I hold my pose? But literally, as, as I was trying to kind of make that decision, in a few split seconds, I'd missed my opportunity. Because she was marching towards me with, a, with a kind of her hand outstretched going, Oh my goodness, they're so real! Apologies to any Americans in the house. That's a terrible accent, I know. They're so real, aren't they? And, uh, and then she stretched out her hand. And she was going to stroke my face. She's like, this one's even got stubble! And I, and I was like, oh no, what do I do? I'm trying to hold this evil face without smiling. And I could feel the smile beginning to creep to my face. And I thought, this is going to be really awkward if I just do a little smile at her. So I just held my pose and my evil face for as long as I could. And I did what only I thought I could do in that moment. Bah! Like that. I jumped out. I'm so sorry. God, sorry. You nearly went up into the ceiling. I'm so sorry. I jumped out and, and she did exactly what you did. This American lady was like, oh my goodness, it's alive! You see, in the Chamber of Horrors, and all the other kind of Americans are rushing everywhere, and like, there was pandemonium in the Chamber of Horrors in Madame Two Swords. I had such a great time. I just carried on for about half an hour, just jumping out of people, you know, causing mayhem. It was brilliant. So that's a nice little pastime if it's a rainy day. And uh, as he loved it, and you, you know, I think, oh, Pete, we've just read about Moses and his shining face, and what on earth are you telling us this for? Well, God spoke to me on that day. Actually, it turned into quite a profound thing. I felt challenged by God because I felt like God speak to me and say, when you're in that space, you jumped out and you made an impact upon every single person that was around you in that place that day. Are you carrying my presence in such a way that you impact every single person that you meet? And that was the challenge that I felt. So I don't think you know, God was advocating jumping out at American tourists. Don't worry. Uh, don't go doing that. But what I do think God was saying was actually, what does it look like for us to carry his presence in such a way that wherever you go, in your living, your walking, your working life, in your every moment, that you might make, be making such an impact that people see and understand and perceive his presence at work in your life. What would that look like? It's so easy, really, in the life of following Jesus, to settle for becoming almost an imitation of what you were meant to be. Those waxworks in the museum, they're just kind of a shadow, aren't they, of the real thing. They're not the real thing in and of themselves. They're just a picture of what, it's, what it looks like. They're a picture of the queen. Kind of, they look real, but they're not the real deal. And so often we can settle for kind of looking the part, but actually not necessarily making the impact in the environment, in the spaces and the places where God has set us to live out our lives. And as Moses walked down this mountain, this Mount Sinai, having encountered God, his face was so radiant with the very presence of God that the people there even stood back from him. Aaron, who had been on the journey, had been on the adventure, been in the whole story of Moses' adventures, even Aaron stepping back from Moses, such was the impact that Moses had as he was carrying the very presence of God stepping off that mountain got to this place, didn't it, where Moses had to wear a veil over his face. Such was the encounter and the awesome presence of God that seemed to accompany him and impact the people around him. Well, I wonder if you might be the kind of person who could carry the very presence of God, so much so that you impact the world around you. Now, every suddenly has a story behind it. So this suddenly for Moses, as he meets God on the mountain and comes down the mountain, this, this mountaintop experience that all of us may sit here this morning and think, do you know what, I, I want that, I want to shine, I want my face to radiate. We may all feel that and think, I hear that story, I want to carry that too. 
Every suddenly has a story. And so we want to explore the story behind Moses that led to that suddenly moment of his presence so full and radiant in the face of Moses. And that story is the tale of many mountains, how to walk in the presence of God. So if we rewind a bit to Exodus chapter 3, and we've been looking at a number of chapters from Exodus over our series as we come to bring that into land today. We go back to Exodus chapter 3, and we find that Moses had many encounters with God on mountains. And the first mountain that we're listed with in Exodus 3 is Mount Horeb. It literally means a place of desolation, a place of desert. And Moses had found himself in the desert for about 40 years Tending sheep, getting on with a quiet life, having run away from his life growing up in Egypt because of things that had gone wrong in that place. And he's in that place of desert on Mount Horeb when God appears to him in a burning bush. And here's the thing, here's the lesson, our first lesson from our first mountain, that God is intent on teaching Moses as he learns to walk in his presence. And it's simply this, that God promises his presence will go with us. He promises his presence will go with us. You see, when Moses encounters that burning bush, his response is to say, God, God, not me. Surely not me. It can't be. In fact, Moses hides his face. Far from having a face that's radiant with God's presence, we're told in Exodus 3 that Moses hides his face from God's presence and says, you can't send me, I can't do this, there's nothing. And, And you read the chapters there and it's all the excuses that Moses is trying to list to say, This is impossible. It can't happen. And does God answer Moses with, come on, Moses, you're all right. You're actually good enough. You can do this stuff, Moses. You keep going at it. You keep going at it. No. God doesn't answer Moses like that. God answers Moses quite simply. It's almost like he ignores Moses' question and answers Moses just simply by saying, my presence will go with you. That's the promise. Now, you may feel yourselves that, you know, who am I? Have I got the gifts to walk in the presence of God? What does it look like for me in my, you know, my working life and living in this city or beyond wherever it is you've come from? You know, I, I can't do it. I can't do all that God might call me to do. I can't carry his presence. Well, you'd be echoing Moses. And God's answer to you this morning is not, yes, you can. You're good enough. You've got enough gifts, all of those things. God simply says, my presence goes with you. Do you know that God promises to presence himself with you? Each and every person here this morning can know the very presence of God at work in your life today. We're going to be praying for that. Are you ready to be walking in his presence? And so Moses continues and he comes off Mount Horeb and we go to his second mountain. It's the first one, Mount Horeb. The second mountain that Moses has to face. And we don't have a a biblical kind of text that I could give to you of this. But we know that Moses went back to Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful place on the planet. And one can only imagine that as Moses arrived back in Egypt, he was fully aware of the man-made mountains that faced him. Egypt was a dynasty, it was a power, and one of its symbols of its power were to create the pyramids. The Israelites didn't create the pyramids, they didn't, they weren't the slaves that built those pyramids, although you may think that's what they did in their slavery. In fact, the pyramids were probably a few thousand years before the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And as Moses arrives back in Egypt, faced with the might and power of a human dynasty, you could think he might shrink away. Those pyramids are extraordinary. You may have been to visit them. 
But there's much mystery around them because they are so extraordinary. That pyramid at Giza is, is one of the largest, is the largest pyramid and, and, uh, and they don't even know really how it was built. People are still trying to work out how was this built. The mortar that kind of put the, the stones together, um, around 230,000 stones ranging between two tons and 50 tons each, all placed in position, put together with mortar, they can't even work out how that mortar was made. People have tried to work at the, the chemical composition and they've kind of worked out what it is, but no one can recreate that mortar, even now with all our technology. This was a dynasty that was powerful, that understood things. In fact, there are some conspiracy theories that actually even aliens built the pyramids because no one can understand how the Egyptians managed to do it. But they were all about celebrating their glory and turning their pharaohs into gods. And as Moses walked back into Egypt, he was faced with the fear of seeing the strength and power of humankind. And yet here was the thing that God wanted to teach Moses in his second mountain experience. Despite all of that power, God's power is greater than any power that human hands can create. God's power is greater. God's power so as Moses walks through the plagues and sees God's hand move in Egypt, just being obedient with his staff in hand, listening to God, he learns that God's power is greater than anything that humankind can throw at him. He overcomes his own fears. You know, Moses had fled from Egypt because he had killed an Egyptian. Things had gone wrong. He was struggling with his identity and he ran for the desert, which is where God found him at Horeb. You too may have your own fears. There may even be things from your past that you know that actually if I really walk in the presence of God today, will he cause me to face some of the fears, some of my failures? Will I have to step into spaces that make me feel uncomfortable and I know that I'm weak in? Well, do you know what? If you do, God promises his presence will go with you. And his presence is more powerful than anything you've ever encountered. You have to get hold of that. You have to believe for that. You have to say, okay, God, I recognize today your power is greater. You bring your fears to him and submit them to him. You bring your struggles to him and submit them to him. And you say, God, I'm sorry that I get overwhelmed by all the powers and the principalities around me, the things that seem to get hold of me. And God, I want to submit them to you today and recognize, God, you are more powerful than anything. That revelation for Moses meant that he was able to stand and walk in the presence of God, even in the face of his enemies. So God continues to teach him, and this lesson continues, this tale of many mountains, and he moves on from Egypt, and of course the people of God go across the sea and are delivered into the desert on their way, journeying towards the promised land that God has given them. And then we come to the third mountain. Very small mountain, in fact, technically a hill, but we'll go for mountain. And, uh, and the Amalekites come out against the people of Israel. These slaves, who have not been a fighting people, have come and escaped out. Families, uh, livestock, they're all traveling. And the Amalekites come against them in battle to push them back. And this battle then starts to rage. This Amalekite army against these Israelites starts raging. And Moses climbs his way up Mount Rephidim and stands on the top. 
And we read there in Exodus chapter 13 that every time Moses raised up his hands over the battle, the Israelites would take ground. But every time his hands lowered, the Amalekites would take ground. Now what was God showing him in that space? What was God talking to him in that moment? Well, do you know, Moses stood there in intercession over the people of God. Moses stood there over the battle, declaring God's goodness, pointing to him in intercession, praying, worshipping over the battle in order that God's kingdom might be established, in order that his people might be made known and his presence made known in the land. That's what Moses was doing, but it was tough. And two people, Aaron and Hur, came alongside him and lifted up his hands. Some of you may know this story. And as they lifted his hands, when he was too tired, he was surrounded by people that were with him. It's one of the reasons we have connect groups here at HTB. We want people to be in community, connected in, building relationships, so that we might intercede, that we might go after the things of God, we might pursue his presence together and encourage one another, even when it's tough, even when it's hard. Even when difficulties come, to walk in his presence does not mean that you're going to have no difficulties anymore. There will be battles. And in those moments, there's a question. Will you intercede over the things of God's kingdom and usher in his presence? Will you have people gathered around you that can help lift your hands to encourage you to continue walking in his presence? There is a battle going on over our nation right now. I don't mean a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. We are longing and aching to see the presence of God break out in this nation afresh. We are hungry for it. We've been speaking into it over these last few weeks. And our desire is that God would move again in revival power across this nation. We desperately need it. It's dangerously distant since the last time that happened. We are hungry for it. But do you know it's a battle? It's a battle. And God is asking you. Men and women sitting here this morning to say, will you intercede? Will you lift up your hands over this battle and in Jesus' name begin to declare his presence, recognizing that his presence goes with you, recognizing that his power is greater than anything else that could be thrown and standing over the battle in order that we might see his presence established in this land. That's his desire. That's why he longs for us to worship and seek him. Do you know there's not a single revival documented in the Bible or in revival history that doesn't talk about fervent prayer and worship preceding that revival. Where people respond to God in power and praise, lifting up their hands. When we worship together just now, as we were singing, many of you were lifting up your hands. What were you doing? You're saying, God, we lift you up. We're interceding over this. We're worshipping you. We're establishing you as the most powerful one in all the earth. And we are longing and crying out for your name in order that your presence might come in this space, might come in this land, in this city. That's our longing and that's our desire. You don't find written in revival history, oh, and God's people were hanging around looking a bit bored. Oh, and God's people were hanging around looking distracted. You don't find those documented because when there's revival history, you find there are people who are going after God. They're passionate in pursuit of God. You read, you document people falling on their knees, lifting their hands before God, their physical bodies representing their spiritual hunger. God asks us to worship him, to love him, body, mind, soul, spirit, not just with our thinking, but everything about us. We get to express our desire before him. And Moses learns that expression as he raises his hands before God to honor him and the battle is won. 
So that's Mount Rephidim in our tale of many mountains. What you do physically will impact what happens spiritually. Step in after it. Become hungry for him. And as that hunger grew in Moses, we know that he carried on on this journey and he came to Mount Sinai. And up Mount Sinai, which we looked at last week in Exodus chapter 33, God meets with Moses. Moses cries out and says, God, will you meet me? I, I want to show me, show me your face, God. Show me your glory. There's this desire in Moses. What a turnaround from Horeb. Do you remember back at Horeb, only a few chapters before, Moses is hiding his face from God. And now up Mount Sinai, Moses is saying, show me your face. Show me your face. And as Moses asks God for intimacy, to be face to face with God, God says, my presence will go with you. It's a reaffirmation of what he said on, on Horeb, but now Moses knows so much more because of his adventure and his tale of many mountains that he's ready to say, yes, God, I want your presence. Do you know in the Hebrew, when God says that in Exodus 33, and it says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. It actually, the actual translation is face. My face will go with you and I will give you rest. It's God promising his intimate presence with the people of God. God promises that he would meet with you intimately, even today. That he longs for intimacy with each and every one of us. That his desire is that we might be face to face with him. Now there's a dynamic in which he is too awesome, too powerful, too majestic to even begin to get hold of what it looks like to see his face. And he says to Moses, I'm going to hide you because actually if you actually see my face right now, you're going to die. You're going to be overwhelmed with my presence. But God guides and shepherds Moses into a greater encounter of his presence. So much so that when he walks down off Mount Sinai, his face is radiant. Just as we read in chapter 34 at the beginning today. Moses' face is so radiant because he's been face to face, intimate with God. Where's your desire for him? Do you have a desire for intimacy with him? Do you have a desire to know him? To know him, to walk with him? Because that's where Moses arrived at in his tale of many mountains. But his tale of many mountains goes on way beyond that as well. There are many other mountains that are documented in Moses' journey. But there's one or two more that I want to mention. Towards the end of his life, we get to Numbers 34. And Moses has been traveling, journeying with the people of God, being a demonstration, being transformed by God so that he carries his presence, God's presence to the people. And they all grow in their knowledge and wisdom of who he is. And it comes to the point when God is going to deliver them into the promised land. And Moses climbs up another mountain, Mount Nebo. And from Mount Nebo, he can see the entire promised land, all of God's promises for him. And yet God says, Moses, up this mountain, this is where you're going to die. This is where you come home to me. And so you could say, well, is that the end of the story? Moses has done all this stuff. He's ushered in a sense of God's presence. He's taught the people, but he doesn't even get to inherit the stuff. He doesn't get to inherit the promised land that's been promised. We see, Moses knew that the invitation to walk in God's presence wasn't just about here, now, and this lifetime. That invitation is an, is an eternal invitation. It would go on forevermore. Because you see, as we learn to walk in his presence, he invites us to an eternal relationship with him that will never end. 
And as Moses surveyed that promised land, he knew that though his death would come, it would not be the final word. I love, I'm going to misquote Billy Graham now, but you've seen many quotes over the last few weeks after Billy Graham has gone home. And one of the things Billy Graham said was this, it's a misquote, not exactly right, but he said, one day they'll tell you that I've died. Don't believe a word of it. On that day I'll be more alive than ever. And this is the truth. God invites you to walk in his presence, not just then when you die and you're in heaven with him, but right now. To begin that adventure, begin that walk right here in this space, right here today. And then from that place, he will journey with you throughout into all eternity. That you might know him and inherit the fullness and promises he has for you. And you might still say, oh, but Moses died on Mount Nebo and I sense that he's, yeah, he's gone gone to heaven, he's with God But is that the end of the adventure? Well, actually, no. Moses appears again in the Bible, quoted often. But if you fast forward about 1,300 years to Matthew chapter 17, another man climbed a mountain. His name was Jesus. And he took with him three of his close friends, James, John, and Peter. It was just outside Jerusalem as they climbed this mountain, which we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And as Jesus stood on top of this mountain, he was transfigured, which means he became radiant in their presence. So much so that it says he he shone like the sunshine. Something happened physically to him that so manifested the incredible presence of God that he shone. His face was shining. His whole body was shining. It's like an upgrade on Moses' shining face. This was the transfiguration of Jesus at which God declares, this is my son, listen to him. As those three disciples watched on in absolute awe at the very presence of God being made manifest on that Mount of Transfiguration. And who appears alongside Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Peter, James and John witness it. They see it. And they see Moses and Elijah standing, having a conversation with Jesus. I would love to have had that conversation. I'd love to have got in there and listened and gone, what are they saying? What's happening in that conversation? But there's Moses, the law, representing the law. These ten commandments he carried down Mount Sinai. There's the law. There's Elijah, the prophets, representing one of the greatest prophets. And so Moses and Elijah stand with Jesus, who is the culmination and the bringing together of all the law and the prophets in him as a person, being transfigured, radiant with the very presence of God on Mount Trans- of the Mount of Transfiguration. And as Peter watches on, of course, those of you who know the story, he says, this is so, so brilliant. Why don't we make like some tents and you can have a tent for Moses and a tent for Elijah and a tent for Jesus. But again, Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what this is about. It's great to encounter his presence here in this place. But as I carry his presence, I've got another mountain to climb. And Jesus walked off the Mount of Transfiguration. And only a few days later, he climbed the Mount of Crucifixion. And as he dragged that cross to Golgotha, And was pinned to the cross. Declaring that he would pay the price for all our wrongdoing. For all the things, the times when we had chosen to go not his way but our own way. 
for all the times when we backed away because of our fears, our pyramids, the things that overcame us. He held himself upon the cross that he might win the possibility that every single person might be filled with and encounter the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the very presence of God. You see, because of his death and his resurrection, overcoming death, he now has all the power, all the authority, the greatest power. This is our God to forgive every single sin in your life, to forgive everything, to wash you clean even today, to make you new, to make a new creation out of you so that you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that he washes you clean to fill you so full of his presence that you too might radiate his presence everywhere you go. That's what he achieved on the Mount of Crucifixion. And when he returns on Mount Zion, that that picture, that radiant picture of a new heaven, a new earth coming down. He invites every single one of us into this eternal story of walking in his presence. Moses learned his lessons. Moses learned what it looked like to walk in the presence of God through his tale of many mountains. What will your story be? What will your story be as you learn to walk in his presence? Because today God invites you to know that his presence goes with you. To know that his power is greater than any other power. To know that as you intercede and seek him, And raise your hands before him. You'll see him move in power. Overcoming the battles that you face. That you might be intimate with him. Face to face. To radiate his glory. Not just for now. But for all eternity. This is your invitation. Will you walk in it?